Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We usually do one topic for each show. Once in a while, we do more than one. Today, we're going to split it up. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about Radiohead versus Lana Del Rey, the battle of the century. That may not be a battle at all and may be completely overblown and everyone can't stop talking about it anyway. But first, it would have been Clarence Clemens' 76th birthday this week. The great E Street Band saxophonist died in 2011. And just a couple months before his death, our own Andy Green talked to Clarence Clarence had just done something that he was very excited about, which is he had recorded with Lady Gaga. And I had done a Lady Gaga cover story just around that time, and Gaga herself was incredibly excited about this. She called up Clarence, or had her people call him, and just basically summoned him to the studio, and he magically appeared that night from Miami. So let's hear what Clarence Clemens had to say to Andy Green in 2011, just a couple months before his death. And afterwards, we will talk about Radiohead and Lana Del Rey. I hear you play um, the new Gaga album. Yeah. How'd that happen? I'm a, I'm a Gagaite. Uh, they called me up and said, uh, you know, Lady Gaga wants to, to uh, play on her album. I said, so, wow. And uh, I'm, I'm here in Florida, I live in Florida. And this was on a Friday afternoon. And, uh, so I said, okay, yeah, I'm glad to do it, you know. But, uh, what do you want me to do? Like, next week, Tuesday, Monday, Monday or Tuesday, okay. They said, no, she needs you now. Yes, sir, I'm always there for it. That was kind of funny, you know, the man is, you know, flying to New York and, uh, that same night, the same day. Anyway, I, just the idea of, of this whole thing was so, so wild that I was so excited, you know, because, uh, Man, she is like, she is, yeah, and I, you know, all the things I thought about her, you know, I, I was right. She's a genius. Uh-huh, so she's, you get to the studio and she's there? It's kind of like I got there uh, close to midnight. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 11 30, something like that. And I walked to the studio, she came running down the hall. Yeah, Wow. Shit. That was the holy shit, man. Damn. It was really, uh, she was really a great person. I had so much fun, you know, just had so much fun. And so what'd she tell you about the song? Yeah, she, she explained this song, where it came from, what she, what she was trying to say in the song, and, and, uh, and it, it made so much sense, and, you know, and what she, what she does, man, it just blows my mind. The fact that I, you know, was asked to play on her album is just, one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life, you know. Wow. I, I, I really am. I was a real fan uh, of her approach to what she's saying and about all the things that some people see as crazy. It makes so much sense, uh, you know. And uh, she, she's just a, a great, great person. I know when I left the studio, I was. It took me a few days to come down, man. I was like, because, uh, you know, just being witness to what she's saying and what she's doing and how she's getting there is just amazing. And so how's your health these days, Clarence? Yeah, I had uh, spinal surgery. I had two. I had both my knees replaced. I had uh, spinal fusion. And uh, from L2 to L5. And, uh, uh, 
on the left, on the left side, and uh, I did a lot, man, a lot of things. <laughs> the spinal surgery is the most recent one. Yeah, well, the, the spinal surgery and the knee replacement both happened in, the, in, the, in, in last year. Ah, so your knees were replaced before, right? You. I had hips replaced before. Oh, okay, with your knees replaced. I've had all kinds of replacements, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it hasn't held me, thank God it hasn't held me back. You know, it's just like everything that's happened has happened at the right time, and the timing was perfect, so it didn't interfere with a lot of my other stuff that was going on in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so it's like, uh, when I had the surgery done, I knew I'd have to do it uh, because the last tour, the end of the last tour, was hell, man. It was it was pure hell. But you know, and at the same time, it was it was wonderful. It was beautiful for me. I had such, uh, you know, and that's something having to have played with two of the greatest people, two of the greatest musicians, or two of the greatest artists, and being a part of their lives is a is a, is a Beautiful thing, man. I can't tell you. Although I had all these problems, it didn't hold me back. Uh-huh. It just this made me stronger and uh, I'd work hard. I'm like now I've been physical therapy for the last year, uh, three days a week, working my ass off, man, to, to get back to it. And, and the music that I've been involved in since the surgeries has really helped me hold it together. And, uh, it has helped me to be stronger. And uh, because of my love for what I do. Hey, so are there more surgeries planned, or are you done? I, I don't know what else we can do. <laughs> I don't know what else is left to do to replace that. Uh-huh. So, but, uh, you know, whatever it takes to do what I have to do, I'll do it. Are you walking better now? I mean, it's a cane and the crutches. Now I'm having some hip problems again. Um, and I don't know, uh, but you know, it has to stop me from uh, playing my music. You know, as long as my mouth and my hands and my brain still works, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be out there doing it, man. I, I've, I've, heard, I've, I've heard some talk of a 2012 E Street Band tour. Is that something you know anything about? Uh, no, but I, I do believe that could be true. It may be true. I don't know. It's always rumors about stuff around Bruce. And, uh, it's always pretty true, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the music and because of what the band's doing here, when we're going to do it again, are we going to do it again? Yes, we'll do it again. I always say that. Yes, I think we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because these things are, are, are too good to just come in. It's like when they, when they decided to break the band up back in those days before my hair. Before hair. <laughs> B-H. <laughs> BBH, <laughs> Bruce before I had. <laughs> you know, so, uh, it's just, uh, I think that uh, we will do it again. But then, there's a thing, then after that, Donna decided to go out, you know, that would be, you know, or, or vice versa, you know, it's just, I don't know, I don't know if you can hold me down on the ground, man, I mean, float so high. If I could do both of these things, if both of them came to pass, mm-hmm. you know, say like in the same year, the same two years or whatever, yeah, I, it would just it would just be 
if I create it, if a song ain't a song until somebody hears it, mm-hmm. you know? Even don't put it out, you got it there, somebody heard it, and other people are thinking about it, like you thinking about it. So I, I, I think it just, uh, he's a prolific writer, and, uh, and people uh, who uh, know uh, about this kind of thing, they, they understand why he writes so much and so so, uh, you know, put it down, make sure you got it so you can always come back and get it if you need it or there are parts of what songs they may need for something coming down the road or, or something that's so, so great you don't forget it or lose it. So, and then it becomes, like it's like I said before, it, it ain't a song until somebody hears it. It's just a thought. Mm-hmm. If you write it, if you, if you put, it on, put it on the tape, uh, you know, it's a song. Right. And you almost played for the Cleveland Browns, right? I mean, that's... Almost. Almost. I was, I was born as a free agent, you know, as a trial for the team. My best friend who was in college with these two years ahead of me is Charlie Holmes. Uh, he was one of the greatest running backs that I had ever seen. That, that That's even up to the day. He's still one of the greatest running backs I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I was living in Philadelphia, and, uh, and we were. He took me out to, to go come down and try out his team up there, the Jersey Generals. So, so I, I was in Newark Bears. It was in Newark Bears at, at the time, and uh, I went down and tried out for the team, and, uh, and I was a car accident, and that knocked me out of football, and. Uh, so I never had a chance to really try out for the team, but I knew I could have made it. And, uh, but the doctors thought it would be a good idea because, uh, it's, it, you know, there could be something, there should be something wrong with you, you know. But, uh, it was just at the beginning of the season that I was in top physical condition. I mean, if it happened to me today, I'd be dead already. But, you know, I was ready for, to, to, you know, Sean and I used to work out together. And, uh, and uh, became even closer friends. And I, he asked me about the, what I wanted to come and try, try this job out first. Was a, there was a job, he was a supervisor at the, the Journey Training School for Boys. It's a reform school kind of setting. Mm-hmm. And, I, and my mind was sociology. So anyway, I, I, I found this job pretty good. Then after that came the football. The, the team was... Uh, in New Brunswick, uh, they were trying out people there. And I, I went, uh, he says, well, why don't you come and try out for that team? I talk about what I did and, uh, what I did the chance to play. And do you ever think a, about how your life might have been different if you didn't wind up in that car accident? I mean. Well, yeah, it, it would have been a lot different. I, I, that's why some things that happened in your past that you, you can't understand why it happened, but it happened for a reason. Things happen in your life for a reason. And, uh, and if you're wise enough to see it and understand it, uh, it makes your life a lot easier to sit up. A lot of people complain about shit all the time and uh, yada, 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 yada. But they all happen for reasons and, and if you just Accept what's happening and play the hand that you tell. You know, you got to play the hand that you tell. And then at the end, you'll see 
that what you decided to do was probably the right thing. Uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I never thought I'd be, uh, a, a quote rock and roll star. I didn't pursue that. I just, I just loved to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, uh, then I met Bruce right after this car accident. You know, after that, you know, I was, you know, I always had my horse and car that I liked to play. And uh, I would stop and play with, uh, bands, uh, in my book, I, I tell a little story about how, how the projects all, how it all came about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to keep you. I, I, I have one final question though. In, in the, in the mid eighties, both you and Bruce, you're both very, very strong. So who could have bench pressed more back then, do you think, in the mid-80s? You were Bruce. Me. <laughs> you definitely? Yeah. That was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could do it now, though. <laughs> right, now. I, he's pretty strong now. <laughs> okay, Clarence, it was so good talking to you. Thank you so much. So this was fascinating. Uh, you're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. <laughs>
to attack Radiohead and Radiohead's sort of ethos and their entire being behind (laughs) going for this lawsuit. And it was just the way that it was consumed and was happening so quickly is that everyone kind of took that one tweet from Lana without any sort of claim out there by Radiohead, without any sort of legal documentation to back it up, and how it all of a sudden became like this huge immense war that really wasn't or is. Yeah, and this broke on a Sunday night when you can't mm-hmm. get comment from people really and websites, they may not have like their full team going. And it seems to be verifiable that if she says that she's being sued, that she's being sued and then you go with it because if you don't go with it, then somebody else will and they'll get all the clicks. So it's this race to post a story that often happens without taking a step back to be like, wait a minute, is this real? <laughs> Brittany, I don't get the sense that you're a huge Radiohead yourself, fan yourself. You're not a huge Radiohead yourself. <laughs> That's what they call the fans, you know, the Radiohead. Um, <laughs> but that aside, it does seem like, especially Lana's young fans, who are, some might not be rock fans, how do you think, what is the most kind of hilariously caricatured way you could describe the way they see Radiohead? Like, Well, I would say with Lana in particular as a pop star, she has sort of an interesting relationship with rock music in general because she is such a, a totally. huge fan and it, she borrows so much from it. But I feel like there's obviously this image that a band like Radiohead is sort of like grumpy. I mean, Tom York just like looks grumpy all the time. Like, it's just like sort of a grumpy old rock band, even though they're not really like super old rock band, but... I think that people, the younger fans sort of have that image and they're kind of playing it up and there was actually, um, like fans have been starting to bring like Lust for Life vinyl records to Tom York. Like there was a video of fans like trying to get him to sign it now. So they're sort of trying to like make him even grumpier now. Well, that's the funny thing. And that's actually why I hesitated when I said that uh, Lana fans might not be rock fans because as I know from my own time with her and just in general, I mean, she's an enormous rock mm-hmm. fan and she probably, all the references she made when we spoke were to rock, not pop at all. Right. And of course, worked with the with Dan Auerbach and et cetera, et cetera. But also, like, she talks about, like, Guns N' Roses and Springsteen. In fact, she's, like, a, a total classic rock fan. She's supposed to have Lou Reed on um, Brooklyn Exactly, Baby. yeah. So, I mean, as we know, artists are in one place with their tastes and their influences and their kind of aesthetic framework and then their fans might be in a totally yeah, other place. sort of a filter for that. But I think that there is definitely a disconnect between that and I feel like just because of the anger of her tweet and the sort of intensity of her claims that it was 100%, it definitely fueled the fans to feel a little bit more negative and build up a lot of stereotypes of what Radiohead represents. Yes, which was probably which was smart for her. It was smart for her to go first to like frame the issue, to be like, look, I'm very willing to like, compromise here, but they aren't. Mm-hmm. She specified 40%, which is very funny. Yes. <laughs> it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, I think the reason she's willing to settle is because Look, it's melody and chords. Yeah. And that, yeah. not the entire song, but that one section we heard and a little bit more. And it gets even a little bit more similar. And, you know, she may even to herself admit that it was an unconscious influence, which is extremely common. Right. That is a thing that it's just, and sometimes inevitable. She also said in concert, that was the other thing that went around a little clip of her saying in concert that she might just leave the song off future versions of the album yeah. which I'm not sure that a like solves dramatic. everything no. <laughs> it's very Lana well, and you know it, it is too late for that it's been released I know it's, it's a fun. very <laughs> common thing that these things happen and it is dealt with behind the scenes and you never hear about it that rights are constantly shared and both parties stay silent and it's not a big media storm right. well let's get into the other story behind Creep and the sort of irony of this issue, which is that Radiohead themselves were 
and I'm a little unclear about how this came to be, but I believe there was a quiet, there, again, it might be the same situation. I'm not sure if there was an actual lawsuit or just a, a legal I'm approach behind the scenes. I'm 99% sure that there was no lawsuit, that it okay. was just settled. So, okay, so here's the deal. Creep sounds an awful lot like a song by the Hollies. Yeah, it's called The Air That I Breathe which was not written by the Hollies. It was written by these guys, Albert Hammond and Mike Hazelwood. It is Albert Hammond Sr. And <laughs> Jr. is the guitarist in The Strokes. It's a very small world. The, yeah. In other words, the, <laughs> the Hammond family was involved with a, a weirdly large percentage of 90s and 2000s uh, rock songs. But let's hear the air that I breathe for a moment. If I could make a wish I think I <laughs> I think the only way to solve this is to have the Hollies, Radiohead, and Lana all perform together at the Grammys. I think it would really be great. <laughs> but there's a couple things. I think Radiohead are not super happy about this fact that they share credit for the song with these two people. They've never talked about much. And I think, I actually think might be a, a hidden factor in their own resentment of the song, because they, which they they play only on and off. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many reasons that they of course, resented, of course. but a hidden factor. But yeah. they don't want their breakthrough song that launched their entire career to be seen as stolen. So when this came up, it was handled very quickly and very quietly. St- stolen, stolen as with Lana is way too strong. Sorry, it's just, okay, it's just too it easy. Was if anyone's inspired. ever or unconsciously inspired, that chord change which yeah. I think is the famous G to B chord change. I'm not sure I'd have to sit down with the guitar, but it's like a very extremely distinct and unusual chord change on and, and top of that, the melody. Mm-hmm. But if you're a musician, musicians can hear this stuff and even the chord chains absorb in their head and then when they're sitting down to write, be like, that sounds good and not realize until the album's out. And that, that could very well be the case with both Lana and Radiohead. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say is it's a complicating factor. It's a complicating factor because thanks to the miracle of the internet, Lana fans learned this fact very quickly and used it to paint Radiohead as hypocrites, which would be true if, again, if Radiohead themselves were aggressively pursuing this, which we don't know. We don't actually even know whether they have control over this action because Andy points out that, let's take a step back. There's a case in which Tom Petty's publishing company got involved with Sam Smith's publishing company over Tom Petty's Went Back Down and uh, Sam Smith's Stay With Me mm-hmm. because that is just, I won't even bother playing it. It's just a blatant the the sam smith course is just a slowed down version of of tom petty they were totally screwed but everyone was like tom petty is suing sam smith but it turned out very similarly tom petty wrote that song with jeff lynn and it turned out it was jeff lynn's publishing company that actually initiated the action and so tom petty was like "Eh, you know it's fine with me i don't know they just you know it just it was complicated and this may be a similar case although in that case that was an actual collaboration between tom petty and jeff lynn rather than a bizarre decades separated (laughs) alleged plagiarism so you have to wonder about that so Brittany. Yeah, you don't like Radiohead. You're not a Radiohead, as we decided <laughs> that's what Radiohead fans are called. I don't uh, hate Radiohead. I just, I think they're okay. What do they symbolize in your mind? <laughs> I'm not going to roast them too hard right now. <laughs> I just, I think they're like pseudo-intellectual rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's weird. Weirdly, so you're like the Gallagher brothers who call them bloody students. That's You, yeah. you think they're yeah. bloody students. That's what you don't like about Radiohead. That's the Liam and Noel Gallagher of, of yeah. Rolling Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. a- and do their fans bother you? Because their fans are so intense and they get pretty annoying sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But not as, I don't know, not as intense as a lot of other fandoms. I don't find 
Radiohead fans to be like insufferable people. But in general, again, it's been defining for Radiohead. And this is one of those weird things that people don't think about as far as the way things change. You can be known for one weird thing. Right. I mean, Metallica became known as like just the band who sued Napster to a large number of people, which yeah. is you know kind of funny because obviously there's a lot of other things <laughs> about them. So do you think for certain young people, Radiohead are now just, they're known primarily for a thing they didn't even do? I think that's definitely the case. That's going to be the case now. And I feel like what my thing with Radiohead that I've, the way I've, I, I've always consumed them and always known about them is that they hate Creep, which is a song that I really love. And so I never can trust a band that hates their biggest I, song. Mm. I discussed so. this with Tom, and he <laughs> gave me a very nuanced view on it. Yeah. yeah d- d- explain that, yeah. He said that he sees it now as sort of their entry pass to the world of pop, and, and he's sort of proud of it now. I think for years he did resent it, but they play it in concert now. Mm-hmm. And he told me that he's really learned to like it. Yeah. I think with Radiohead that they've done nothing in a long time to appeal outside of their fan base. That that they made no effort to appeal to a mainstream audience. They don't do many interviews. Their music is just sort of released and there's not a big buildup to it. That you're Mm -hmm. in the cult, which is huge, or they're just like some old band. To be fair, they did do an interview this year and it was with you, Andy Green, for the cover of Rolling Stone for their (laughs) re-release of OK Computer. I'm very happy they did that. They're they're my favorite band in the top five or whatever. mm -hmm. I love them. But I'm just saying that <laughs> if I was much younger, I would not have been exposed to them, really. So there is a long history to this. The game was changed by our friend <laughs> Robin Thicke, who musicians of all stripes are really angry with Robin Thicke, and not just because they don't like his music and think that Blurred Lines is problematic. You know, they're mad at him because there was a case over Blurred Lines. And what happened in that case, Andy? The notion is that he was found guilty of stealing the song but it wasn't it was more the vibe of the song than an actual like like a strong melody or anything that Eddie took yeah so the estate of of Marvin Gaye uh, sued Robin Thicke and usually the requirement has to be that it's the actual chords and melody has to be taken in other words that you can do it off the sheet music Mm -hmm. not the the recordings which means that you can't you can't be accused of stealing a groove. You can't be accused of, of stealing a vibe. But in this particular case, there's a song called Got to Give It Up, and which is a great song, a hell of a lot better than the Robin Thicke song. And it has an extremely similar vibe and groove to the Robin Thicke song, Blurred Lines. And in fact, I believe they admitted to basing the vibe off that song. And they were found guilty of copyright infringement and by the way, Pharrell actually wrote the song, in which Robin Thicke, in a, mom- in a hilarious courtroom moment, admitted that in interviews, including with people like me, when he just like, oh, yeah, I wrote it in 30 minutes, that was a lie. He just wanted to sound cool. He didn't want to be not associated with his greatest hit. And in fact, Pharrell wrote it. But in any case, they set this precedent that completely terrified every songwriter alive and every musician alive because... If you can be found guilty of taking a vibe and a groove, that means, first of all, there's a million existing songs that suddenly are, are liable for a lawsuit. And second of all, it can be really stifling in the studio. So there's actually an appeal going on, and, and all sorts of musicians have filed an amicus brief, because it's not about supporting Robin Thicke. No one likes him. <laughs> but, but it is just a scary precedent for these musicians. However, you know, this Lana and Radiohead is a much more traditional, no change in law would need to take place for that to be a problem 
for a lot of these cases, I feel like because the artist gets so embarrassed by the entire possibility that they plagiarized a song that becomes a huge hit in most of these cases, they typically are very quick to hand over some rights. So I think Ed Sheeran was pretty quick to give rights to the um, to the writers. Yeah, I think that the lesson of Robin Thicke was don't throw this to a jury mm-hmm. because they could do something crazy and it's just not worth the risk. And then an example of preemptive handling of this issue is Taylor Swift. She credited Right Said Fred for Look What You Made Me Do. I mean, not 100%, but mm-hmm. threw them some credit because there there is a similarity in this sort of chanted chorus. And then the solution is simple. Just give them some of the publishing preemptively. And while it's presented as a sort of gift, it's possible that they went to the Right Said Fred camp and said, look, we have this. Here's our offer. Right. And then they bumped it up by 5% and they just worked it out and then everyone's happy and then it becomes, Red said Fred can come out and be like, it's so great that Taylor Swift played tribute to us on this <laughs> yeah. song. They got a and, lot of press out of it. Right, they got a lot of press <laughs> out of it. And then that's how it's presented as if it was, you know, yeah. sort of a, an homage, which it, yeah. by the way, it could be because Taylor is not doing any interviews. Come on, Taylor, we want to talk to you. <laughs> Taylor is not doing interviews. We don't actually know. It could have it could have been. She'd be like, wouldn't it be funny to do an I'm, so, I'm too sexy thing? My guess is that wasn't it, but who who knows? Yeah. yeah, and by going preemptive, you avoid what happened with Gaga Madonna, where the first day reaction to a big new song is just, it's been stolen, which sort of it sullies the entire release of a big single. You're absolutely right. The PR for that was handled, as Bernie was saying, is let Red Said Fred come out yeah. and, you know take credit was the madonna gaga did that ever go anywhere no it was, i know madonna it was, played with it a lot yeah she played with <laughs> it but i remember on twitter and everything when because there's a huge build-up to like born this way on her twitter it, it was like five days now now it's four days and the song came out then just instantly it was people screaming that it was just like madonna yeah by M- madonna's express yourself yes yeah yeah so I think the thing there, Madonna never initiated or even mentioned legal action. I think it actually falls into the vibe groove category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the chord progression is similar, but not really the melody, not enough. It's, yeah. it's just the tempo, the vibe, the groove, even the message. She played a lot of mashups of Born This Way and Express Yourself in concert, which I enjoyed. Yeah. (laughs) I will say in the same, it's weird we're bringing it full circle because at the beginning of the story, we were talking about how Clarence Clemens played on that album by Lady Gaga and when I spent time with her for that album the controversy was blooming over this similarity and she was you know she was pretty annoyed by it she really maintained that she couldn't hear the similarity I'm I'm just saying you know say what you will she loved Madonna and had mentioned her as an influence and she felt pretty bad about the whole thing and seemed felt kind of besieged by it mm-hmm. right so who knows you know? and for madonna to play it in concert as a mashup which is twisting the knife it yeah. was it was pretty clever and that it, was just the beginning of like kind of twitter fandoms being really intense like that was what 2009 that's a wonderful point yeah, yeah. so it, it was uh, 2011 yeah it was, uh, 2011 so it was uh if it happened now events might have moved quicker you know gaga might have been sure. moved and to you know might have been legal action too especially uh, after blurred lines <laughs> i think you're gonna say there might have been fights in the streets between <laughs> gaga fans and madonna fans uh, the, the one stan, can only hope the stan wars tear that finally tear this country apart <laughs> <laughs> but the sort of weaponized fandoms which you know i know you you think and write about a lot mm-hmm. Brittany, is definitely an aspect of all this and it, it what's interesting is the radiohead fandom which kind of confines itself bookishly to certain old school web forums and Reddit aren't out on Twitter being like, I am a Radiohead. I will destroy you, Lana fans. It wasn't a war, which is, I guess, a little disappointing just from an entertainment perspective. Yeah. You want to see that that kind of battle. For sure. 
But Lana fans are are just are fierce. They're vicious. Right? Yeah, they were really vicious about it. And the, you know, a lot of good Radiohead jokes a, over a, the weekend. A lot of them were using, you know, the you get into that world in the world of stand culture. If people don't know about it, it's it's been going on for for a long time. In fact, again, it all goes. I learned how fierce it could be in 2011 when I made, you know, Gaga was so triumphant in that moment, and I had an un, perhaps an unfortunate sentence, which I think st- stood up at the time, in which I mentioned how influential Gaga was and I kind of maybe as they say through shade at a couple of other pop artists I mentioned that that Christina Aguilera you know made an album that was highly seemed highly influenced by Gaga and and actually a few other artists it was one of those things it was a perfect storm of just pissing off like eight fandoms in one <laughs> sentence but the Christian Aguilera fans went nuts yep. on me what? went nuts threatened my life and stuff and, yeah. and then the funny thing is I hung out with Christina herself and really enjoyed it for a voice cover story a few months later and she was delightful and I, I wrote kind of nice things about it and then all the fans were completely mollified they loved me so that's all <laughs> that, that's all in the past I hope by bringing this up again I don't have more threats to my life from Christina it was the most intense you know sort of problematic <laughs> fan thing I ever had yeah. and it was a sentence I gave maybe two seconds yeah, I sort to. of think as a fan base shrinks and gets smaller the, the people left are are more intense and they get crazier the, for sure that's interesting yeah the Christina hive <laughs> the Christina hive was fierce but I mean it is stan stan culture people proudly call themselves stans and yeah. stans as I when I discussed this with Eminem himself he claimed this is already a few years ago he claimed to at that point until I told him to be unaware of the use of stan mm-hmm. as a, yeah. <laughs> as a you know as a, as a descriptor that one would self-apply and he was hard he was kind of horrified or, fo- or it also he, came from Nas too uh, right. Nas used the word stan as well right well Nas, Nas took it from, yeah. from Eminem's song and he's song. made it what it is yes right yeah. you're absolutely right yeah so people are like I am like this guy who wrote crazy letters to Eminem and, and was going to murder people yeah. anyway that's a great way to conclude our conversation <laughs> about Radiohead versus Lana Del Rey the battle that has not ended yet even though it might not quite exist and this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now I've been in the studio with Brittany Spanos and Andy Green we'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume channel 106 at 1pm Eastern and in the meantime be sure to download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and as I keep asking maybe if you like the show leave some nice reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts We'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.